0: What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Chaz Pearson, and this is the Outlet Forum Podcast with my esteemed co-host, Chris Camello. What's up, Chris? It's all good, baby, baby! Yes, sir. And we got another episode for you guys. The Lakers' legacy documentary on Hulu was going up. Chris, did Eddie Jones really say that he was okay with Kobe airballing those shots in Utah? And are the Las Vegas Aces going to sweep the WNBA Finals now going up 2-0? And the Redeemed team is back. We got a Netflix documentary that's coming out. Can't wait for that. We got much more information on that great documentary. But first, we got to start off with the foreshamed Robert Sarver Mm. of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, The information and the news has finally dropped. If you don't recall, Robert Sarver, who is the owner or governor of the Phoenix Suns, uh, was accused of causing a workplace environment that reeked of misogyny uh, that reeked of racial discriminatory practices, as well as language and just childlike sophomores behavior um, from Robert Sarvers. What the alleged report from Baxter Holmes came out in November of last year said, and it was confirmed by the WNBA as, as well as I'm sorry, the NBA uh, and a law firm that they hired uh, to, Internally go into the Phoenix Suns and interview over, uh, I believe, 80,000 pieces of evidence and over 100 people uh, in this report. There's about a 40 page report that dropped earlier this week. And the NBA came out with a statement and they said uh, and stated that Robert Sarver was guilty of many practices Uh, discriminatory practices so chris uh Hmm. with that statement that the nba dropped uh in saying that sarver quote-unquote cooperated fully with the investigative process um and he was fined 10 million dollars which is the maximum that can uh that is a part of the collective bargaining agreement and he was suspended for one year i think it's particularly light um but i'll let i'll go ahead and tee this one up for you what do you think of this news um, and we'll get into a little bit of the details in this report um, and just to name a few he told a female employee and asked her in the hallway hey did you get an upgrade this summer referring to her breasts and the boob drop that she got probably recently so that's just one of many things but Chris what do you make of all this with Robert Sarver and do you think specifically the punishment that he received is light?
1: Well, first of all, the punishment, uh, clearly the NBA took a page out of Rob Manfred's uh, handbook of shitty punishments. You remember what he did with the Houston Astros after the 2017 cheating scandal, only find them $5 million, because like you said, there are bylaws to this. So when you are finding somebody, you can't exceed what the bylaws say. So 10 million was the max. A one-year sentencing a one-year, if you want to call it a sentencing or suspension, for a basically, I mean, take your picture, jazz. Sexual harassment, uncomfortable workplace, uh, uh, racism. I, I mean, we look at where, okay, we live in 2022. Heightened sensitivity on everything, right? But in this case, it's actually justified. And this was not just over a course of a year or two. This was over a course of many years, almost 20, almost 20 years. Exactly. And up until recently, yeah, the sons have put together a good organization. They went to the finals two seasons ago. They've got one of the best shooting guards in the game. They got one of the greatest point guards of all time. They got a young and talented big man. They've got a fantastic general manager. They've got a superb head coach. They have finally built a positive culture. But if you recall, in the mainly go back to about 2012, the post Steve Nash era, there was a stretch of about seven or eight years where it was toxic. And you remember there were ex-employees doing interviews, Ryan McDonough, uh, David Griffin, talking about how toxic the environment was. And anytime you have executives or former employees talking about uh, how toxic an environment is, where should we theoretically look at the top at the top, but it it went so much deeper than just basketball, bad basketball. See, that's what everybody was focused on. Dysfunctional, uh, coaching carousel, bad players, bad drafts, bad trades, bad contracts. But these are people that work in the arena. These are people that work for the organization that were getting abused and a one-year sentence. It's shocking Chaz, but it's not surprising. And it should be because eight years ago was Donald Sterling's incident. But I guess that was a little bit more of an open and shut case because there was legitimate hard evidence. And and that's why I wanted it before I give it back to us where I wanted to get to real quick. When you look at the and, and you and I spoke offline, when you look about the John Gruden situation that we just saw recently with the Las Vegas Raiders and the emails or you go back to Donald Sterling eight years ago with the tapes. It was an open and shut case because there it was, boom, it's in your face. This situation, what makes it dicey is two things. One, this is all based, mostly based on witness accounts, mostly. And two, the owners, of course, were going to back Robert Sarver because he's one of them. So naturally they know if we pull our chair out from under Robert Sarver, what's to say he's not going to come after one of us and expose the skeletons in our closet? So that's why the light fine, because of the bylaws, but most importantly, the light suspension of only one year.
0: I'm I'm disappointed, perfectly uh, elocuted by you, Chris, by the way. Um, I'm just disappointed in the league more than anything. I, I expect this from Robert Sarve. No one is surprised. Anybody in the league, anybody in the WNBA, anybody that's dealt with him, anybody that's worked with him or been – um, a part of this, uh, story or this investigation, uh, isn't surprised that this has come out. Actually more people are surprised that it's not a heavier, uh, not fine, but a heavier, not even suspension. He should be banned for life. Like Donald Sterling was, mm-hmm. um, Donald Sterling was never forced to sell his team. It was actually his wife who sold the team because it was proven that by Donald Sterling, um, coming out and having on audio and video uh, saying the things that he said, it was damaging to not only the Clippers, but the league. And the league was able to act without even having to invoke a three quarter vote of the NBA owners or governors now. So that's what it takes for to take an NBA franchise from somebody. And it really hasn't been done. People think it happened to Donald Sterling, but really it was his wife that sold the team from up under him with the NBA's approval. Right. Um, But At the same time, he he still made these remarks and did these things. And for not just one year, not for two years, not just for five, seven, ten years. He did it for 18 years from the time that he owned. uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Purchased the Phoenix Suns up until just recently. Here's just a small list of things in the 40 page report that it was confirmed that Robert Sarver did. He talked about a sexual act and condoms at employee events. He told a blowjob story in a business meeting. He told an employee, a female employee, you've never seen anything this big while preparing to take a shower at the team facility. He emailed pornography to a small group of male employees. He danced pelvis to pelvis with a male employee at a holiday party. I don't know about you, but... That's yeah, some weird shit. That, right there. that that's some that's some weird stuff right there. He My dropped gosh. here's the thing. He dropped his underwear unnecessarily while a male employee was performing a fitness check on him. He told a pregnant employee that she couldn't continue an assignment because her baby needs their mom and not their father. And asked a female employee, like I said earlier, about an upgrade referring to a breast augmentation. That's just one of many many things that he said allegedly not even just allegedly but proven in this report and the reason why it's so damning is because he was only suspended for one year one year when you do this for almost two decades one of the witnesses said quote in the story is barely a slap on the wrist and shows us that the league truly doesn't stand for diversity equity or inclusion." And this is a former staffer that speaks. Or a said,
1: safe work environment.
0: Or yeah, she said, "I'm grateful to have the validation after being told I was insane, a bitch, and being dramatic." That definitely lets me breathe a little, but I'm angry. And she goes on to, you know, to say many other things. I don't know how anybody that's black can want to even play for this guy. He repeatedly said the N word on five different occasions after being told by black and white employees, as well as other people of color, not to say that, even though he said, Oh, I'm just repeating what somebody else said. He just, he just kept doing it. And here's the thing. He demeaned his own employees and yelled and he cussed at him. This is over a long period of time, guys. So the fact that he's only going to be gone for a year with, with the Phoenix sons and the Phoenix Mercury, he's not going to be involved in any business decisions, any business deals, any, any games, any practices, he's literally barred from everything, but what's a year really going to do if he's going to be able to come back and still have ownership and be able to own this franchise the way that he wants to. Now he has to go through a bunch of different classes and jump through a bunch of different hoops with the NBA to make sure that he's in compliance so that he can still own the team. But the fact that the NBA didn't ban him for life and that the owner's are too much of, of wusses in my opinion because they think it may cause a slippery slope because of what skeletons they may have in their closet. Exactly. How about you just? How about you just not say anything racially insensitive or discriminatory or anything with animus that refers to race or gender. Basically, the, Chaz, like, be, a good, just person, be a good, be a good person. Be a good person and is just, what you're saying. Just, just, just be a decent human being. And the like the fact I that agree. the the NBA said repeatedly that this had no animus referring to race and gender they when he literally yeah and, and they focus and they focused on tone and there's literally a part in the in the report where diversity discussion began in 2016 and sarah was asked about diversity and he erupted saying quote unquote no 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 i hate diversity So if you have an owner that's being quoted in a 40 page report report saying that he hates diversity, but at the same time want to lock arms and take a knee in the bubble during the riots in 2020 with the um, racial injustice that was happening just less than 24 months ago, how can you only suspend somebody like this? a year and find him $10 million, $10 million for Robert Sarver is just a drop in the bucket based on what the footprint center and the Phoenix suns are making now that they have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Deandre Ayton, and so on. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I just think that the league really dropped the ball on this one and it's really gonna. It sucks, but it's really going to come down to the players. And unfortunately, Chris Paul, again, like he did in the Donald Sterling situation, where as he was a Clipper, he's going through it again with Robert Sarver. I, I don't know what the players can do. It shouldn't come down to the players, but Sarver has to get out. And he just, he, there's no room for Robert Sarver and his racial insensitive insensitivity and his gender discrimination in a workplace.
1: I, I totally agree. I agree. I think he should, if definitely, if, you, okay. So just looking at the Sterling situation, clearly the owners felt, you know what? We're willing to sacrifice Donald at this point to save ourselves. He, he's a, he's a bitter old man. He's senile. He's past his prime. We're willing to let him take the fall and whatnot for whatever reason. They did not. The owners are not applying that pressure or applying Adam Silver or or getting Adam Silver to apply the pressure of saying we want this guy gone at this point because clearly they have his back
0: they, and he I, might know no, no, something. No. No, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm, just correct you right right there. Everybody knows it's being reported from Mark Spears to Wojnowski to Ramona Shelburne. Um, they had a lot to say about on this, and you know, I just have to kind of regurgitate some of the reporting that they put out. Robert Sarver does not have any allies within the ownership of the NBA and the other 30 29 franchises, nor does he have um allies in terms of agents players and, and people that work for him everybody is pissed that works for him they want him to go away if they could get rid of robert sarver no no no, they no. Would. i think you misunderstand. Uh, I, I don't he he has he does not have allies they don't have his back like i don't think they have i'm, his not, back. Talking the the I'm NBA- not talking about the employee NBA.
1: I'm not talking about the employees. I'm You're talking, talking about the about, owners. <laughs> I'm talking about the owners not raising a bigger stink on this because they don't want to rock the boat themselves because they don't know. Remember what Mark Cuban said when you know when a private conversation now becomes public, it puts everybody under the microscope and puts everybody on a high alert. That's right. really more of <laughs> the point I'm alluding to because if Robert Sarver feels like oh you guys are going to force me out. Because he was around, obviously, during the Sterling situation. He saw how that went down. He saw the precedent started by Adam Silver and and whatnot. And, and obviously, like I said, that was a, a really harsh situation as well. This is, this is really bad. Like, I think we had kind of felt like, okay, there are some things here. But when that report came out and you talk about the sexual harassment on men and women alike, the racism... Uh, the, the undermining uh, uh, comments to women. I mean, you talk about making, creating a toxic environment. It started with you. But what I'm saying is there has to be another reason why the punishment is not more than a year. Because, and also, you can't even say, well, the NBA did a crappy job with this investigation. They delegated this to a third-party law firm. So they got a nonpartisan, non-NBA employed law group to basically look into this over here. So who's it going to come down to, to raise a bigger stink at this point? Is it the players union? Is it Chris Paul basically saying we, we as the players are not going to play another minute for this guy until you ban him and force him to sell the team. Like, I don't know what the end game is going to be at this point, but, but, but I agree with you. Nobody should take this lying down at this point. Nobody, especially the Phoenix suns players themselves, because it is going to come down on them to draw to, to make the first move in my opinion, for this to go farther.
0: it, it, it sucks that it has to be the players, but they they have to do something. Um, and I don't I don't think that Chris Paul is going to just let it let it slide and not say anything or, or do anything. Um, I, I, that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping. But I'm just disappointed in the league putting this out that the investigation, quote unquote, made no finding that Mr. Sarver's workplace misconduct was motivated by racial or gender-based animus. So they're trying
1: to focus too much on tone how and could, context how, rather than what it was you, actually said. Come
0: on. How could you how could you say the N word on five different repeated times but not have racial animus? How could you talk about, you know, women in the workplace about their boobs and, you know, if they're pregnant and, you know, pulling your pants down and showing your pr- your privates while somebody's giving you a, a, just an exam, like, you know, just, just, just being a, just being a dickhead, man. Like, and that's just really what it comes down to. Um, And, and it's, and it sucks for everybody involved, but I think that Sarver should be banned from the NBA because it's just, we just don't have any more, it's, it's no tolerance. It's no tolerance. For, and if we tolerate this, then there are other things that we will tolerate, and that progress and that moving forward of the culture that we always talk about gets stagnant. So. And you would think in
1: this era of, of cancel culture, there would be more like a, a story like this would go more viral. Like if it went viral for Donald Sterling, granted, there were actual tapes. There was a whole thing that went around with him being recorded by his girlfriend and everything like that. I don't even want to get into that. It was such a horrible situation all the way around. Uh, during the playoffs for the Clippers and and whatnot and by the way there there's been a podcast and there's going to be a dramatization on FX coming about that but you would can't hey, wait.
0: shout out Ramona
1: yeah shout out Ramona but at the same point in time you look at this and Chaz it didn't even feel like anybody people were talking about it but it wasn't a major major story and I think that's the biggest thing that's a bit of a head scratcher does this guy's power greed and influence go that far
0: um because somebody's no, got to be
1: backing him on this this is what i'm saying this is just an opinion i don't know i you know i don't know my head from a taboyan but you know what i mean
0: just the, an opinion the league, it, it's kind of it's kind of like how the nfl couldn't suspend deshaun watson for the whole season but they settled on what it was at 11 games and deshaun watson's camp wanted no games and the general public wanted at least a whole season or whatever it was and it was like the NFL could, couldn't win, so they just met somewhere in the middle. It's kind of like what the NBA is doing. They're fighting them literally the maximum that they can in money, and they're suspending them for what they think is at, at least, you know, decent time period without thinking that they could get the three-fourths quarter vote, three-quarter votes uh, from the other 2019. They, they just don't think that they can get the votes to do that. And if they do that, they open up a, a whole different can of worms. So business-wise and business and from a business perspective i understand why they did it but from a moral compass you know position and stop, t- stop with the stop with the t-shirt stop with the mlk day stuff stop with the stop the acting, like, arms. You yeah, stop acting stop. like you care stop acting like you care that's what i'm that's how i feel just I stop agree. with all of that if you not if you're going to just give somebody like this a year suspension and 10 mil fine for doing something in 2022 what donald Sterling was doing back in the eighties and nineties and just got caught in 2015 or whatever it was. So, um, yeah. So with that being said, the, the Phoenix Mercury also are, are impacted by Robert Sarver because he's not allowed in any of their business deals or any of their practices or games next season as well. Um, and the WNBA hopefully is in conjunction with the NBA and making sure that Robert Sarver, uh, is not uh, going to be included on that. We'll we'll kind of keep our put a pin in this one, and we'll come back to it as the story develops. Because I don't think this is the end of this story. He's not just going to do his year and then come back. There's going to be many more developments on this. But speaking of the WNBA, uh, the WNBA finals are happening, and the Las Vegas Aces just went up two zip mm. in a five game series on the Connecticut Sun. Chris, what do you make of the fact that? The Vegas Aces are only 1-1 away from securing an NBA, cha- I'm sorry, WNBA championship. And what do you think of Chelsea Gray and Asia Wilson down the stretch and how they were able to blow out the sun pretty much in this second game? of the WNBA finals.
1: Well, first of all, don't forget the third member of the three Amigas, uh, which was Kelsey plum. I mean, she was absolutely sensational. I thought she She set she set a tone in the first half that I really thought carried through the rest of the game. Uh, But yeah, Asia, Asia Wilson. I was a little concerned going into the series for her. Like how is she going to match up with John Cole Jones? It's, it's a little bit more of a, physical uh, Connecticut team, Alyssa Thomas, John Cuel Jones, uh, Brianna uh, jo- Jones. They got some, they got some size on that team that, that I thought could offset the now, by the way, congratulations to Asia being named MVP. Uh, well-deser- well-deserved she's had an incredible season uh, leading Vegas and now one win away. But uh, yeah, she is not only been setting a tone, but she is just been dominant and efficient. And now you've got Chelsea Gray. I mean, Chelsea Gray, I even said, coming into this series, there's nobody in that backcourt for uh, for Connecticut that can match up with Gray, not with her size, her physicality, her ability to get into the paint, her ability to step back and knock down threes. She is a very difficult cover. Uh, you know. And like I said, she reminds me a lot of Chauncey Billups, you know, just a, a point guard that has size, strength, skill, and has the ability to beat you a bunch of different ways without necessarily being bring in the speed. The speed was brought by Kelsey Plum in game two, and she had a seven nothing run just by herself. And I yep. just thought it, this allowed Vegas to maintain control and she carried it through the, the entire, the entire game. And, and that was a really good sign because she's kind of had her struggles, Chaz, throughout this postseason. So for her to come out with a breakout game in Game two of the finals and sort of a, what I like to call the chokehold game, where now you have a, you're in really good position going back to Connecticut. That is a positive sign because they're going to need that going into Connecticut. So whatever Kelsey did before game two, bottle that up, take it on the plane with you to Connecticut because uh, the aces are going to need that going into games three and potentially four. Well, your thoughts.
0: I think, I think game three is going to be the best game of the series. It, it's that game where it's either over a closeout game Especially in the championship is always tough, especially for the road team, which will be the aces. Um, and I, I think that overall you're gonna get people that think that the aces are just gonna steamroll the sun in this third game. And it's just not gonna be that way. It was actually close much throughout the first half of game two. Uh, Game one was pretty interesting as well, but the Aces pretty much had that game in the bag the whole time, pretty much. But um, it's really going to be on Asia Wilson. They go, the Aces go as Asia Wilson goes. And because she's the MVP, um, 26 points in 37 minutes, 6 of 8 from the free throw line, 10 rebounds, a block, um, only one personal foul. She's playing almost perfect basketball. So if she continues to play like that, I don't care what the Connecticut Sun do they're out They're They're going down, you know, in three games. But like you said, Kelsey Plum, she's a tough little firecracker. She had a she had an and one where she, you know, kind of yelled out after and, and and dapped up a few of her teammates after she made that. And um, she's got a smooth stroke mm. and she's got a really pretty game off the pick and roll. So um, I just think that the Aces are, are going to sweep them in three, even though it's going to be a tough game. But if we get to game four and it's still close, game five wouldn't like in a short series, it's still a short series in five games, not sure. seven. So yeah. r- anything can really happen. Momentum can swing on a pendulum much faster in a five game series than a seven. So, um, but I, at the end of the day, I still got to choose the aces. And I think uh, they'll be hoisting up the trophy on what I believe is what, Thursday night? Of this week so.
1: yeah, so Thursday night yeah. that's gonna be that's gonna be game three. And I mean Connecticut just needs everybody to step up at this point. They got nothing from DeWanna Bonner. Uh, a lot of a lot of their key players are, are stepping up and whatnot, but at the same point, I mean, they're 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 stepping up, but not at the right moments. It seems like when, when Vegas is going on their runs, Connecticut is just being left in the dust, and that can happen. So they're gonna need DeWanna Bonner, Courtney Williams, Brianna Jones, John Quell Jones, everybody, all hands are gonna be, have to be on deck. And, and really put out a great performance. And before we move on, Asia Wilson was asked by our own esteemed colleague, Nick Hamilton, about the LeBron, what you like to call the Holy Trinity, Chaz. LeBron, that? Kobe, and Jordan, and who she, who she likes. And this is what she had to say. Earlier, who's your GOAT? Kobe, LeBron, or Michael Jordan? Oh.
0: That is a tough question. <laughs> I don't know, because, like, I don't know. I can't answer that. because You can say all three. Many. Yeah, it's too many. It's too, too <laughs> great at what they do. Like, they all bring something different. And I'm like, they are good at
1: that. Well, like any of us, I agree with Asia yep. on that. It's hard to pick. It really is. I mean, Jordan set a tone. Uh, really, I mean, he changed the game. And he set a tone for how the game is now. It started with him back in the late 80s with the sponsorships, with the the high-flying act, with – Uh, the clutch play. I mean, Kobe took that throne, no question about it. And he started, you know, he wrote his own chapter in the, in the two thousands and whatnot. And then of course, LeBron James, the last, you know, going into his 20th season now, still can't believe that 20, 20 years LeBron. So they have all brought their own aspects to the game that have changed the game for the better for the most part. So, I mean, what do you, what do you think Chaz? It's hard to pick between those three as you like to call them the Holy Trinity.
0: I mean, look, at the end of the day, I didn't get to see Jordan the way that other people got to, got to see Jordan that are older than me. So I'm always going to, to pick Kobe because he's the greatest I've seen with my own two eyes. But, um, you know, I, I've seen Jordan play, but he it wasn't in like 91 Jordan or anything like that. And obviously seeing LeBron in his prime is, has been great. Can't choose any of those guys. So I, I don't blame Major Wilson for that at all. But you do know how Kobe was able to really get his start though Mm. there was a time when Kobe was airballing in the playoffs we'll talk a little bit about that on the other side of this break you know what here's to going for it and being terrible Here's to giving it a shot, even though your shot is uh, garbage.
1: To being the queen of the court. Oh, maybe not this yeah. court. To feeling the burn, even if there shouldn't be a burn to feel. To trying your best, one even minute. though your swing is the worst.
0: <laughs> Here's to going down way harder than you get back Whipping up.
1: Possibly one more ball. Hey.
0: <laughs> to giving it your all. Even though, you kind of suck. (laughs) But you know what doesn't suck? (laughs) (sighs) Trying to do something you've never done before. (laughs) That doesn't suck at all. Not even a little man you know you lit everyday we lit yeah everyday we lit yeah everyday we lit yeah everyday
1: Run, Welcome put back on, to the on. Outlet Forum Podcast. In case you haven't already done so, be sure to download and follow all our podcasts on all major streaming platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on iHeartRadio. And of course, we're on Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating, drop a comment, and let's get that dialogue started. You can also go to nightcastmedia.com, N-I-T-E-C-A-S-T-Media.com. Go to the Shows tab, click on the Outlet Forum. That'll take you to our Apple Podcast page. And Chaz, that last track you heard coming back from the break was the song Every Day We Lit. And that's from YFN Lucci featuring PMB Rock, who also produced the song. And unfortunately, there's some sad news with PMB
0: Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, our man PMB was murdered in South Central Los Angeles at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, of all places, on Manchester and Maine. Uh, for those of you that uh, know the area, if your first question was probably what was he doing on Manchester in Maine in the middle of the day? Uh, probably, you know, wearing a bunch of jewelry and pulling up uh, in a nice $150,000 S-Class Mercedes. Um, I believe that he just didn't know where he was um, and he just, what they call on the streets, he just got caught lacking um, prayers to his family, prayers to his friends. Pray it's his daughter, his, his daughter's mother. Um, I just want to just, just give a quick shout out. I don't know what's happening um, in L.A., why the culture is what it is with robbing and thieving and killing and everything like that. But uh, pray for our culture, pray for our city, our country, um, because of what's going on in the, right now is sick. And the fact that rappers are getting murdered at an all-time high um, in Los Angeles, from Nipsey Hussle to Drekio the Ruler to now PMB Rock, um, even Quando Rondo was, was shot at where his friend was killed recently. Um, you've just seen a whole different level of robbing and killing, um, just not even inconspicuously, like it's, it's just right in your face. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to take a moment and uh, prayers out to PMB and his family um, and everybody that's been affected by that. So, uh, and and last thing, anybody that blames his daughter's mother for posting, you know, where he was on Instagram while they were still there, bunch of nonsense. That the blame can never go to somebody who makes a post. It, it's always on the actual murderer who is actually still at large and stole his jewelry and all that. So, um,
1: it's a shame. It's a shame. Just a whole, it, whole, it, whole it, life it, ahead of him, and like you said, Chad, this is happening way too often, and not just with people of fame. But it just seems like anybody in their 20s or 30s, it's not even if anymore, it's when. I mean, be careful out there, everybody. I mean, we are, we are headed into a situation right now where it just seems like everybody's angry, everybody's fed up, or everybody is you know you know mentally ill and and people are
0: broke people are broke broke
1: too i know it's no but it's there's a lot i'm talking about broad broad range here as well a bunch of different reasons why people are getting killed and it's just it's inexcusable no matter how you slice it or no matter who you're talking about so shout out to pmb rock um i did not really know him i i knew a little bit about his music um you know this the song every every day we lit it's a really good song actually and a great music video as well uh, but it's it's a shame when anybody that young has to die senselessly like that. So yeah. that's that's where I'm going with that. And um, yeah, prayers well, to, it, to his family.
0: In the city of LA, there is not only that, but there's also a great basketball team called the Lakers. And the Lakers have a great documentary on Hulu that goes by the name of Legacy. And in this latest episode of the Legacy documentary, we finally are now ushered into the new era. Of the Laker dynasty of Kobe and Shaq, and the previous episode is all about how Kobe and Shaq were able to come together, and how Jerry West was able to finagle a trade for Vlade Divac uh, to get the pick from Charlotte to draft Kobe Bryant, and how he spent ex- exhausting days trying to sign Shaq, and finally these two come together, and it wasn't easy putting them out there together, but eventually they were able to get over the hump and get the new Lake show started. And a young Kobe really isolated himself. And you got great interviews from Eddie Jones and Nick Van Axel and Shaq for the first time. And all of these episodes, I think this is episode six Mm -hmm. uh, of this latest episode. And Shaq told a great story about how, when Phil Jackson was signed, he went up to Montana to talk to Phil and Phil, the first thing he asked him, Hey, before we talk, Why don't you go ahead and throw this log in the river for me? And Shaq's like, I'm not throwing no fucking log in the river. I make $120 million. Like, what? What do you mean? And but he knew it was a test and he brought up his dad and the fact that his dad was a sergeant and would not yell at him or maybe be stern with him and Shaq threw the log in the lake and talked to Phil. And Phil said, stop doing movies, stop doing music, stop doing commercials, focus I'll make you the MVP and a champion, and that's what happened with Shaq. And this episode was great, Chris. What what was some of your takeaways uh, with this last episode of Legacy? And um, what did you make of how the, the stories that they told behind the scenes uh, with Shaq and Kobe in the early days?
1: Yeah, it was very interesting. Obviously, once you make a a big splash like that, not only drafting Kobe Bryant, or I should say, trading for Kobe Bryant on draft night, but also acquiring Shaquille O'Neal now. the the stakes are different. The expectations are higher. It becomes championship robust and you already had a good situation there. You had a a pretty good situation. Let's call it that. Van Axel, Eddie Jones, Cedric Sabalos. But now it's like, okay, how's this all going to work? Do we have the right pieces around Shaquille O'Neal? He's obviously our number one, right? Do we have the right coach in place? And I think what you saw during those late nineties is the fact that there wasn't an established pecking order after Shaq. We know Shaq's the number one. Well, who's your number two? Is it Eddie? Is it Nick? Is it Kobe? Kendell Harris, who was known to being a teacher, yeah, that works for a team that's young. That works for a team that has low expectations. Now you're coaching stars. And clearly that approach and that style grained on those players. I mean, it had already been graining on Ben Exel for years. I mean, they had sort of had, kind of a falling out. I think they were on borrowed time at that point. And it gets to a point where there's a little bit of dysfunction because of the pressure, because of the expectations. And that's a big reason why Chaz, you saw them fall short literally in 97 and 98 and 99 to teams that had more cohesiveness, had an identity, had experience. I mean, Utah jazz talent wise, never matched up to the Lakers on paper, but the jazz had experience. They knew who they were. They were incredibly disciplined defensively. They were disciplined offensively with Stockton and Malone in the pick and roll. They had a great assortment of role players. And the Lakers, despite all the star power, remember in 98, they had four all-stars, just never really could put it together. But also too, and I'm going to turn it over to you on this, Kobe Bryant at age 18 did not fear the moment and didn't really care about a pecking order or finding his place. He was trying to make a name for himself. And basically saying, get out of the way. I'm coming.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he did. And I just love the stories that they told about how Kobe was just always focused and how he rode in the back of the bus by himself and how he was always going 100 miles an hour in practice. And Nick Van Axel telling him, like, yo, slow down. We in walk through. It's just it's just great stories to hear. You know, you hear the stories about Shaq walking out butt naked, you know, <laughs> in practice. I mean, it, it, it's just all kinds of stuff. But the thing that really stuck out to me was the fact that Eddie Jones really had the goal to say that he was OK with Kobe shooting the air balls in the playoffs um, in Utah. Even and though the plays were drawn that, up for him. Like the that last one, that last one was really drawn up for for Eddie Jones, and he's wide open in the corner, and Kobe's taking like a thirty-five footer from the left hash, and nothing but air. When Eddie just has his hands up, waiting for the ball, and he really said that like, he was okay with that. He was like, "I don't, I don't know if 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 the play was drawn up for him, but I was open. I would have shot it too." Look, man, that that's all well and good, but I think the fact that Kobe was a five-time champion and went and and passed as one of the and retired as one of the greatest players to ever play the game highly regarded if if not top five top ten of all time scored 60 in his last game I think that if Kobe wouldn't have went down as that player Eddie Jones wouldn't be saying that he was okay with those air balls let alone even being in a documentary talking about how the Lakers won three championships after they traded him and you brought up something offline you talked about how the this documentary didn't even talk about how the Lakers traded Nick Van Axel and Eddie Jones. They kind of went right into uh, the Kobe and Shaq era as far as Rick Fox and uh, Ron Harper and A.C. Green that was on those teams. Um, Maybe they'll come back to it in further episodes or later episodes, but they kind of like, they didn't, they, they kind of glossed over it. Yeah. yeah. And they
1: kind of glossed over the playoff failures. I mean, yeah, they, they lost in five and 97 in the second round. They saw the jazz. Again. Well, they didn't talk
0: about getting sweet swept.
1: Well, right, as, no, no, as, but well,
0: they, as well as being swept in the last time they ever played in the Forum.
1: right in 99 against the San Antonio Spurs in the second round swept in the conference finals by the jazz in 98. And by the way, both of those years in 98, and 99, those series ended on the forum floor. So it's like, that's embarrassing right there to get swept and then have the series finish on your own home floor. That was bad, but it was obvious at that point, that group had reached its peak where now you need to get veterans who are going to buy into their roles. The Rick Foxes, the Robert Ory's, the the Ron Harper's, the Brian Shaw's, they drafted Derek Fisher. It was obvious that we can't go much further with these guys, with Van Exel and Eddie Jones and, and Kobe together there's only one ball guys. There's only one ball. And if you have too many guys, Chaz that can do the same things, that's a problem right there. And clearly what we were seeing, like even Van Exel saying he would kill us in practice. That's Nick Van Exel. That's an all-star saying that. Like it was clear those guys, I don't think, and I hate to say this about Nick and Eddie, but the proof is in the pudding Chaz. Those guys did not have a championship pedigree. I'm sorry. I mean, what did they accomplish after they left the Lakers? Eddie Jones never went to a conference finals with Charlotte or Miami. Nick Van no. Exel, I think, went to one conference finals in 2003 with the Dallas Mavericks. And that was it. And then he was sort of on the downside of his career at that point. He was in year 12, I think, go, when, when he was with Dirk and Nash in, in Dallas. So they needed to go this route. We need to center this team around Kobe and Shaq. This is the focal point. I'm sorry, Eddie and Nick. What you did in the early 90s post-showtime was great. But that whole hey, we the lake show, all I remember was how much losing you guys did. Sorry.
0: Here, here's, here's also another a harsh, thing. But like, I, I, tell me I'm wrong. No, no, you're 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 not wrong on that. They they went on to do not a whole lot of, you know, not much of anything after the Lakers. Um, if we're just calling it like it is. Yeah. Uh, I believe uh, Eddie uh, played for the Miami Heat and then Nick Van Axel went on to play for the Nuggets, where they weren't very Uh, successful, but they, they still got paid and they were still NBA players. Um, But I think the, also the part that interests me in this part of the documentary was they got into the relationship of the beginning of Phil and Jeannie and how they started dating and how they met at the league meeting and how really they just, they just talked because they crossed paths at the airport and it started to show the rift between the front office and the coaching staff and Phil Jackson, because Jerry Buss couldn't didn't know who he could talk to if he knew he was talking to Phil, it might get to Genie. talking to Genie might get to Phil. So I think they're going to elaborate on that in the next episode. And I can't wait to really see you know how the rest of the documentary develops, especially I'm really curious to see how it goes through the down years between Kobe's last championship and Kobe's retirement, which ush- was ushers in lebron james for either after so uh this documentary is great if you haven't watched any episodes i'm i'm, I'm envious of you because i would love to be able to just sit down about six straight hours of this um but i'm watching one hour a week like everybody else hanging on every single episode so i can't wait but kobe kobe is staying in the streaming news tv shows because there's another documentary that's coming out and this I think was Kobe at his absolute peak Mm. and this is the redeemed team on October 7th on Netflix, the redeemed team documentary executive produced by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. Um, Great interviews, great trailer that just dropped earlier this week, Chris, what do you make of this documentary? What do you think it's going to be like? Um, Obviously Kobe you know, there's a line in there where Carmelo says, Kobe said, man, I'm just tired of watching y'all lose. Just give me a Jersey. Like, <laughs> like the fact that the fact yeah. that Kobe could just jump on a team like this and, and, and bring him to a gold medal. I can't wait to see this documentary. What do you make of it? I
1: think it's a, I think it's a story that needs to be told because first of all, it was a time leading up to two, the 2008 Olympics in Beijing where USA basketball, I think had fallen on some hard times there wasn't as much interest from star players to play on these teams anymore, going back to 92, the dream team, 96, dream team two, even 2000. They weren't a dream team, but they were a really good team that won the gold medal coached by Rudy Tomjanovich. But in 04, they had a lot of young players. They had a lot of star players, Chaz, but I hate to say this, they weren't the right star players for international basketball. Tim Duncan, Allen Iverson, Stefan Marbury, coached by Larry Brown and Greg Popovich, Hall of Famers, right? All of them not the right fits, not the right coaching styles for the type of players that were on the team. LeBron, Mello, and I believe Wade were on that team, all finishing up their rookie years at that point. A lot of the other players- Yeah, well, Duncan was already a champion at that point. But I'm saying though, when you look at the rest of the team, it was too many guys that were either young and immature and didn't understand the aspect of team, combined with the fact that internationally, this is talking about now the blitzkrieg of international talent that had transcended out of Europe and even Asia with Yao being uh, there over to the U.S. So countries like Argentina, Spain, France, Puerto Rico, just to name a few, had caught up to USA as well. So it's not like, hey, your B-level players in the NBA are, are good enough to beat us internationally. I think there was an aspect of that. So, yeah, it was tough. And I think having Wade and LeBron on the redeem team it was it was important because now they have motivation to say we're going to show you guys how much we have grown as well you know from the last four years so there was a statement to be made and i'm glad kobe got on board because it's just like i can't see my country go out like that but really you know what the key ingredient was in my opinion mike shusheski coach k was the right guy for that group respected Team USA experience, coaching under Chuck Daly in 92, and I believe he helped out in 96 with Lenny Wilkins. And I think that aspect really helped bring those guys together because not only is he a great coach, but he's firm, and yet he's fair, and yet his personality resonates with the players. I really thought that was a huge difference to why Team USA went as far as they did.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I'll be honest, man. I I think it was just the fact that he had – Kobe, LeBron, CP3, Darren Williams, Chris Bosh, Dwight Howard, Jason Kidd. Like this was the best team that the USA has trotted out in the Olympics since the actual dream team. And I remember in 2008 when I was watching these games with my dad, you know, my dad, I was too young in 92 to to see what the dream team was like. And he said, watching Kobe and LeBron play on the redeem team reminded him of what it was like to watch magic throw no look passes to jordan back in 92 mm. so to kind of bridge that that gap and from one generation to the next um, i'm excited for this documentary and i can't wait to hear some of the stories you hear you know those clips of them eating at i think it was a wendy's yeah um when they were on the road um, and and or the video that was recently put up on, Col- on Kobe's birthday when LeBron led the the team and singing uh, Happy Birthday to Kobe Bryant during the Olympics uh, during that time and all the the stories behind the scene on the bus and the on the plane and everything like that so I can't wait to see this documentary and you know what else I can't wait for Chris what's that my man social media status of the week man we got some Woo-hoo! funny shit. For you guys this week, Chris, I I always got to let you go first because you actually told me offline you got a pretty good one. So I've been thinking about it this whole episode. What do you have for your social media status of the week, my man? All
1: right. Well, so as you know, we just wrapped up week one of the NFL. Very odd week. A lot of teams didn't show up. Clearly, they were still on summer vacation or in training camp mode. But perhaps the most interesting one came from Nathaniel Hackett, the new head coach of the Denver Broncos who had a questionable call of choosing to kick a 64 yard field goal instead of going for it on fourth and five with your new quarterback, Russell Wilson. So that being said, my uh, tweet comes from Frank Pazano at F 3434. And it says Nathaniel Hackett tonight. And it's a picture of <laughs> coach Klein from the movie, the water boy reading a book that says the complete idiot's guide of coaching college football.
0: (laughs) Coach Klein. Coach Coach Klein. Klein.
1: Mr. Coach Coach Klein. Klein. By the way, shout out to the great Henry Winkler, AKA the Fonz. He nailed that role in the water boy. Mr. Coach Klein. Mr. Coach Khan. I, 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 I I will be more than glad to do that for you.
0: Anytime. 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 Hey, that's one of the great, one of the great, 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 movies of all time. I love Adam Sandler.
1: Yeah. But that I just thought that was hilarious. Like Nathaniel Hackett reading a coach's an idiot's guide to coaching because he actually had the gall the next day, Chaz, to say, oh yeah, maybe we should have gone for it on fourth and five. Oh gee, yeah you
0: think? Yeah. Yeah. You don't sign Russell Wilson to a 245 or 50 million dollar deal to kick a sixty plus yard field goal on fourth and five. You gotta go for it. Five yards. Uh, um my post- social media post for the was- Mine comes from, I got to roast my man Jalen Ramsby for getting absolutely cooked mm. in the season opener on banner night, on ring night of all mm. places. I was actually in the building for this one, and this was not, I was not a happy camper leaving SoFi Stadium last Thursday. But my tweet comes from at Lake Show Yo, a friend of the program. <laughs> um, he just said two words, Jalen Ramsey and put up a picture of a burnt piece of toast, which is cooked. Mm. (laughs) Pretty much acted like he's at the podium uh, talking. And pretty good Photoshop, by the way, and it just says Jalen Ramsey in that picture. But just a burnt piece of toast. That's all Jalen Ramsey was in that game. He was cooked. Now, I do have confidence that he'll bounce back this next week at home against the Atlanta Falcons, who actually have some decent players um, Calvin Ridley's still out and suspended for a year for betting on a game that he didn't even play in. That's another story for another game. Stupidity. But Drake London, Drake London's out there, a USC um, alum. And can't wait Buy to see down, him. Right on, Drake. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll be in person for that one as well. USC is back. Lincoln Riley leading the Trojans to a 2 0 victory over Stanford and also going for 3 0 next week against Fresno State. If you got any extra tickets, hit your boy up on Twitter at Chaz Pearson on Instagram at Chaz P. Chris, where can they follow you, my man? Well, you
1: could also hit me up if you want to give me the tickets as well. uh, (laughs) And then maybe I'll sell them to Chaz at a 30% markup. We'll see how I'm feeling that day. (laughs) Hey, fight on, man. I told you I'm a Trojans fan. Hey, pecking order for me. Lakers and Dodgers are in the are, are in the pilots in the cockpit. If this is a plane, Lakers and Dodgers are in the cockpit, followed by Rams and SC and then the LA Kings and then how, maybe the Baltimore Ravens, but that goes way back. Okay, so you could always follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Camelo. I'm also on Instagram, see Camelo one. Be sure to follow our social media pages on Twitter and Instagram at the outlet form. That's at the outlet form.
0: Another great show this week. Um, a lot of good stuff. Appreciate you guys following us on the outlet form and listening to the podcast. If you guys have any questions, we're going to start doing a mailbag pretty soon. Also going to start doing Spotify live. So tune in for that. Look out for a few promotions we'll be putting out for that. I uh, would love to have some of the fans uh, interact with us and ask us a few questions live on spotify so we'll be putting that out there but until next week thank you guys for listening from me to chris and everybody at the outlet forum we'll see you next week peace (music)